we're in a series uh, called Dealing with Sin. And uh, it was interesting last week, uh, starting the talk, I literally thought maybe two or three of you would stand up and leave sin or, you know, kind of turn to God from sin or that kind of thing. And last week, if you weren't here, I think every single one of you stood. And I just want to say I'm so proud of you for doing that. And in that, uh, there's been a lot of variety of attacks on me and staff members in our church, spiritual attacks. So no surprise, when a church turns from sin and turns to God, Satan goes to work. But God does have the final say. Doesn't he? So with that being said, I will trust that God will get me through this and um, have a word to deliver today. So if you have your notes, you can grab those out. Um, part two of the series, Dealing with Sin. And the question that I left off with that I was going to talk to you about, that I even heard some of you groan, and you're like, oh, man, I could tell us now. I'm like, no, you got to wait till next week. Um, is what do you do when you turn to God, and then how do we manage sin when we try to leave sin? How does that work? And so the question I'll put up on the screen, how should Christians relate to sin? And this is a big question. In other words, the question, the title of the sermon is, now what? Now what? What do you do once you realize your sin, right? You realize your sin, and then you cast that sin on Jesus and adopt his righteousness on you. What do you do once you're saved with sin? How does this work? Well, I want to talk about that, and I want to clarify two common extremes, and some of you have faced these firsthand. The first common extreme, you can write this in your notes, is legalism. All through the New Testament, Paul addresses the issue of legalism between two main groups, Jews and Gentiles. And we know that the Jews carried the Torah and they carried law. And the law was the way that you have right standing with God. So you fulfill the 613 laws, you do what it says to do, and if you don't, then you're not close to God and you've got to atone for your sins through sacrifices of animals and a variety of different rules and regulations that are in Scripture that God didn't come up with, that humans came up with. And they did this to put an extra weight or burden on humanity to say that this is the way to righteousness and holiness, and it's not. And so the Gentiles came to faith in Christ whenever Jesus dies and resurrects. And then the Jews and the Gentiles are in kind of constant combating, arguing, debating about different rules and regulations. Paul writes about this in Romans 14. He says, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over key disputable matters. The word accept is really important there because the context is this is about inviting into the members of the church. This is about inviting into the family of God that he's pushing on this idea of saying you should accept this person, accept these people, consider the fact that their faith is young, meaning there's a maturity thing there. So give them some time, give them time and accept them. Don't reject them from the local body, especially over disputable matters. 
Then he's going to talk about Romans 14. If you were to go put that on the side somewhere, read Romans 14. He talks about food, he talks about wine, and he talks about certain holy days. So he talks about these disputable matters. Notice that the debate is not about who Jesus is, what the cross accomplished, resurrection of Christ, the importance of giving to local churches. He says there are disputable matters, which is important because if there are disputable matters, then there are indisputable matters in Scripture. So how do you know if it's disputable and undisputable? How do you tell that difference Many people will say, that's your interpretation, and that's your interpretation. This is my interpretation. That's your interpretation. And then everything becomes disputable? No. No. So how do you know if it's disputable or indisputable? And here's the key. You read other scriptures. You just have to go look and see what other scriptures have to say on a particular matter. And you will see that the Bible does not contradict itself. It doesn't speak against itself. It stands. And it holds firm to things that are indisputable. So for the Jews, they believed it was wrong to eat certain foods, while the Gentiles felt they could eat all the bacon they wanted to. And in fact, the Bible clears up where Paul will address to them, if you want to eat bacon, go ahead. So he kind of clears up. This is a disputable matter. Let it be so. But other things are not disputable. Here's where legalism fails. Write this in your notes. Legalism fails when it places salvation on outward performance rather than inward change. What I mean by that is you can get real legalistic. Well, at what degree is legalism wrong? Let's talk about it. Let's say you grew up in a legalistic church and women have to wear dresses. All right. Doesn't change salvation. Maybe there's no instruments on stage. Okay. So you want to sing everybody a cappella. Sounds good. You, know, you want to dispute that stuff? That's fine. Disputable matters. But where does legalism in of itself cause problems in Christianity, and that is when it puts more emphasis on those outward actions versus that inward change. That's where legalism fails at. There's clarity in the scripture that salvation is not based on anything you do. It is a gift of God, period. How do you know that? Ephesians 2 eight. We're saved by if one of you knows that, we're messed up here. I'm not doing my job. Seven years of preaching to you. Okay, let's try it one more time. We're saved by grace through faith. Yeah. Salvation is a gift. We do not earn it. It's a gift. The second common extreme is license. A license to sin. Jesus died on the cross. Amen. So we do what we please. This is the most frequent objection to the doctrine of eternal security, by the way. There is great debate on this because they will argue if you mean I have a license to sin, 
then, you know, if you claim eternal security, then you're giving people a license to sin. This is the fear. This is the fear of the Jews too. If you tell people that Christ died for your sin once and for all, then they're just going to take advantage of it and do whatever they want to do. And they're just going to live in a license to sin because, hey, we all go to heaven so I can say what I want, write songs how I want, declare what I want, do what I want, drink what I want, whatever I want to do, thank Jesus for the award and say, yeah, see, look at me. Like, this is some things that don't line up. And this is what Paul's going to address. We're going to unpack this today. Does that make sense what I just said to you? Did you catch what I'm saying? Um, This is where people begin to debate sins. Our sins are gone. We're free from sin, they may say. We're all sinners. Hey, 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 we're all sinners, man. You know, you know what my favorite one is? Don't judge me. Have you, how many of you have said that, Christians? Come on, Christians. How many of you ever said, don't judge me? Raise your hand. Don't judge me. You can't judge me, yeah. Okay. What Bible did you read? People say some stupid stuff. Can I just be honest? It, it's not even in Scripture. The, the Scripture says you have the right to judge those on the inside. Does it, do you want me to read it to you? 1 Corinthians 7? Remember the guy who's committing adultery in the church? And what, is, what does Paul tell him? Anybody know? If this was a class, how are we doing? Are we a D students, C students, B students? How, how are we doing? Takes to walk, bro. It's heavy. The, po- the point is, is, is that there's a degree of saying, man, sin, I have a right to judge you when you're in the family of God. Now, I can't judge those outside the family because they don't know what I know. But when I know what I know and you know what I know, I have a right to approach you about your sin. Now, first, I got to pull the plank out of my own eye. But once I do, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> come on can I just tell you today that the cross is not a permission slip to sin how dare you take advantage of the cross and think that means it's your permission slip to do what you want and say what you want and be what you want scripture makes it clear that a true Christian will not live as he or she wants to. This is going to attack um, maybe your thinking today, whether or not you are a Christian. If I make you rethink if you're a Christian, good. Because I'm about to show you what it means to be a Christ follower. And let me say it very clearly, true Christians do not live how they want. True Christians have died to themselves. I'm gonna show it to you. Romans chapter 6. We're going to read, or I'm going to try to read, an entire chapter to you today. And I've got about 27 minutes. So here we go. Paul's going to tackle these two extremes head on. He'll make it clear that knowing and understanding God's tremendous gift of salvation accomplishes the opposite of giving a license to sin. It's not about legalism, and it's not about license. Here's where we begin, Romans 6, 1. 
right on the back side of Romans chapter 5 where he talks about that Jesus has become the righteousness, that we become the righteousness of God because of the death through cross and the Christ. Leave your sin. God has taken it upon himself. He's removed it from us so we can have a clean soul. As I examined, as I illustrated to you last week with the water, we have a clean soul. It says, what do we do now? All right, now what? Verse one, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Now, when you read scripture, it's important to understand the tense that the certain verbs are used in. You have to read things in the way that they were meant. So when he uses this language, go on sinning, it's the present active tense of the verb. It's, it's speaking of, in other words, habitual sin. You can't just take a verse when you think about your interpretation and my interpretation. No, you just have to interpret it. This is the language that he uses and the way the sentence is structured is really important to understand. So knowing what we know about Christ, this is what Paul is saying, should we willingly live in habitual sin and just keep playing the grace card? Like going out, real practical, Getting drunk and saying, thank God I'm saved by grace. <laughs> what? That's playing the grace card. You can't just play the grace card whenever you want to. Living in habitual sin? Paul says, absolutely not. Number two, verse two, he says, by no means. Well, what do you do then? This is where he writes. We are those can I just remind you of who you are? Look at the text. This is where he starts. No, you don't do that. And then he reminds them of who they are. Watch what he says. Who? He says, we are. This is a reminder. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? Were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Write this in your notes. Christians can't live in something they've died to. Do you hear my heart and the Lord's heart in this? You can't live in something you have died to. And if you live in it, have you died to it? It's okay to question salvation just to make sure it's a spirit check. It's like, did I understand the decision that I made when I made that decision? Just, just grab this. Allow it to wrestle with it for just a minute. Christians can't live in something they have died to. This is Paul's argument. And he uses baptism as a picture. When a person decides to leave their sin, they believe that Jesus came to take their sin away, and that it costs, and that's only through the death and resurrection, they're made right with God's sight. There's a change in the relationship with sin. The relationship with sin permanently changes when a person adopts Christ into their heart, into their life. 
Write this in your notes. When a person dies to sin, they have a new relationship with sin. Do you have a new relationship with sin? Or do you see sin the same way you saw it previous to your relationship with Jesus? Sin and, and how we handle it as Christians completely changes. And how we approach it, how we handle it, how we manage it, how we see it, how we respond to it. There's a new relationship with sin. In case you don't know what sin is, in case you're wondering, lying, stealing, jealousy, envy. Man, so many things like those, drunkenness, idolatry, right, greed. Go on and on and on and on. He says the mark of a Christian, the true Christian is the relationship. If you want to know if a person is a true Christian or not, has their relationship with sin changed since the moment of their conversion? Or do they just keep living the same kind of life? Habitually. That's really important. The context, the active present tense of that verse, habitually keep sinning. And so he's, verse 17, if you want to know why this new person, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17, real quick, when Paul writes, therefore anyone in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Write this in your notes, please. True Christians really are new Christians. Creations, thank you. Doing my best. True Christians are really new creations. When you're reborn, you're actually reborn. It's new. It's not old. Then he continues with the picture of baptism in Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we've been united with him in his death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body, the body, was ruled by sin, might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you have a Bible in your hand or in your phone, I would love for you to highlight we know. Can you just say that we know? Okay, let's try it again. <laughs> Can we all say we know? All right, this is important. He said, for we know. There's an assumption there. He's writing to Christians in Rome. So his assumption is, you know. And you may not know, and just in case you don't know, he explains it. But he reminds them of what they should know. And he says, you know, the old self was gone. A new one has become. He assumes they have real understanding of what occurred when they joined Christian Christ in his death and resurrection. And I just want to say this. I believe this is true. This is a real issue in our world with people getting saved without understanding what salvation even means. See it all the time. I know it's true. Receive Christ as your Savior. Two-minute microwave gospel. Yeah, amen. Raise your hand. And then no explanation of what has occurred. No. No, 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 you have to understand this thing. That not understand the whole Bible, but understanding what's occurred in salvation. That is why, for us, we here, 
in your seat, there's an envelope that says Brave Steps. And on the back of it, it says, if you want to follow Jesus, we'll help you learn what that means. That's why we call people who make a decision to follow Jesus, and we help you understand the decision that you're making. Amen, right? Make sense? Okay, when you don't say amen, that means you disagree, which is all of you, which is crazy, because you just all disagreed with this. Can we participate? Help me out, man. I'm up here fighting with pain, so just come on, help me out. Amen? Thank you all, man. The pain is reciting. (laughs) This is why Paul explains the old self was crucified. The reason was so that the body would no longer be ruled by sin. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you. Did you notice he says your body can't sin? Here's the reality. Write this in your notes. Our bodies can be controlled by sin or by God, not both. Those are your options. Which one controls you and your decisions? God or sin? Great question to ask. This is his point. Now that we have Christ in us, we're a vessel, his vessel, his instrument to be used for his glory. Paul's addressing the issue, how we respond to sin. If a person is addicted to a drug and he dies, they are no longer tempted to engage in the use of the drug. Do we agree? Because they are. Okay. So they can't crave the drug because they're dead. In the same way, when we die to sin, we no longer crave it. Now that we've understood that the sin leads to death, why would we? Are you dead to sin? It's a mark of a true follower of Jesus. If not, let's keep reading. There's still hope. Watch this. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, keyword count, Yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word count in Greek is a word that meant to reckon or to compute or to calculate. To take this into account. To believe in a sense of saying what God actually did and says is true. Then he continues to write and he says, Therefore, do not let sin in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness because we're vessels of God, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer part, every other part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Here's what he's getting at. He says, so now that we have a new soul, a new spirit, a new mind, a new way of thinking. Our body is no longer a vehicle of sin. The body is not an instrument of 
of sin. And then I love verse 15, and this is where my hope lies, and probably yours does too. Verse 15. Because he knows there's still a little confusion, he says, what then? Shall we sin? It's a different sentence structure. He says, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. The verb in verse 1 is in the present subjunctive, speaking of habitual things that I just talked to you about a minute ago, continuous action. But the verb in this verse is in different tense, and it's referring to a single act. Paul now asks, shall we sin? This is not habitual sin, rather occasional sin. Another way he's saying, should we dabble in it? I'm not talking about habitual things, I'm talking about occasional things. Should we, should we dabble in it? And he answers it, no. No, we shouldn't. Don't you realize in verse 16, he says, don't you know? Remember the, the assumption as a Christian, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness, thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart. That's really important. The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Obey from your heart. Faith comes from your heart. The heart is the inner person. The result of faith is obedience. Because if we really believe something, we act according to that belief. So when Jesus died on the cross and he took your sin and we become made new in him, scripture says that we are dead to sin. Sin no longer has its power over us. I no longer am a slave to sin. I am now a slave to God. And I begin to believe that. And then I act according to that belief. Goes on in verse 20, he says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And then he asks a really good question What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? In other words, he says, Have you ever sinned and thought, Proud of that? The truth of the matter is, when you think about all of your regrets in life, they're all at some point connected to some sin. You think about the things you're ashamed of the most, and you think about sin. Because sin brings shame. Because the point of it is to cause death. Not just physical death. Emotional, spiritual, relational, all kinds of death. And he says, no, of course not. He says, those things in death result in death, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Paul's encouragement, a summary of Romans 6, if I could summarize it, would be this. Be who you are. This is his whole point. What do I do now? I've got, I've got this tension. I'm clean. I give my life to Jesus. So, so how do I manage sin? And he would simply say just be who you are. 
What does that mean? Do what you want? No, 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 no. Be who you are now in Christ. How many times did he say? Don't you know? Paul is suggesting the battle with the sinful nature. He's not saying it's gone. In Romans 7, he's going to say, sometimes I do what I don't want to do, and the things I do, I do, I hate. We talked about that in the very first part of the series. So he's, he's going to address that, that he knows that the battle with the sinful nature is still present. It's still there. So in response to this tension, Paul reminds them of a fact, not a feeling. He, he brings them back to the fact of who they are. Paul's not pushing on a certain feeling. He's pushing on a fact. This is who you are in Christ now. And he reminds them of that. Be who you are. And then he writes... Here's a fact that you can count on as you battle sin going forward. Here's the what now. All right? So as a Christian, you will battle temptation. And sinful nature will try to get a hold of you again and again and again, Romans 7. So here's what you do. You can count on this occurring. And then you allow this to begin to transform your heart. Verse 23 For the wages of sin is death. This is how he lands what we call chapter 6. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin leads to death. Love leads to life. Say, well, help me understand that. I will. 1 John 4, 7 through 10 reads this. And I'll come back to what I'm trying to get to you. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Did you hear what I just said? I'm going to read it to you again. Sometimes my kid responds the way you do. They don't respond to me, so I just keep saying it until eventually they do. All of the parents said amen, right? Yeah, I know. That's what it feels like up here sometimes. Okay, so... Everyone who loves (laughs) has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God. He loved us. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When you realize every time that temptation of sin comes, Paul is saying, remember who you are. Remember what occurred. Remember who he is and what occurred. When you do that, you'll remember that the root of the whole thing is love. Now, once you imagine habitual sin, or dabbling in a sin, an occasional sin. That's okay, right? Paul says no to both. But what do we do with that? Paul says, just remember, when that moment comes, that the payment for the sin is going to be death. It's not going to go well. But when you follow love, the result will be life. 
when you realize that the reason the Lord instituted for us his word that teaches us about various sins is because he loves us. And when you realize that the root of running from sin is the basis of love, it's because he loves me. That's why, because of this love that he has for me. This is what Paul's wanting this church to know. Do you realize how much he loves you? And because he loves you so much, don't engage in a particular sin? No, because he loves you. Does that make sense? So write this in, last thought. When we leave our sin, he says we become slaves of God, we live for God. You live for God. He becomes your master. Sin was your master. Sin is what you used to do, but now that sin is gone. So what do we do with the sin that we have now? He says two things. Don't make it habitual and don't dabble in it. So when it occurs, run back to God, of course, saying, God, of course, help me in this sin, overcome this sin, because I know the result of this sin is death, and I don't want it any longer. And so you say, okay, that's a good step, and I wrote this in, and I just thought to myself, I don't know if this is a, it'll help next week, but how do you, how do you live for God then? You know, how, how do you live for God? I mean, it sounds real good, and I just thought, I'm going to talk to you about that next week. I really did, because I thought, I'm going to run out of time. There's no way. Um, you want to know now a little practical tip okay all right hey can I get the can, hey Jesse are you here is he here yeah can you go up here and play guitar I like little music behind me sometimes I've told you before I grew up in a Pentecostal church so a little music behind me sometimes helps me relive my glory days okay here we go <laughs> okay get your Bible out um, and I'll unpack this more next week okay Romans 12. This is going to be helpful for some of you. I think some of you came to hear what I'm about to tell you. So just, I mean, I really mean this, okay? I believe that the reason I preached through this and the Holy Spirit got me through it is because I think there's a piece here that maybe he, uh, he wants you to think about, all right? So you leave sin, you turn to Christ, you say, Jesus, I want to follow you but I'm struggling with a sin habitually. I I really would want to stop it, but I keep doing it. What? I don't know what to do. And sometimes I, I dabble in it. Am I saying you're not a Christian if you do that? No, because he recognizes the temptation is there. The question is, what do I do now? Watch this. Romans 12, same book, by the way. Notice I'm saying the same book. Romans 12. And if you read Romans 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you'll see this whole thing build up to verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. You gotta remember, when they wrote it, it wasn't like in chapters and verses, right? So, chapter 12, verse 1. This is a great way to not dabble in it or make it habitual. Romans 12, verse 1. Are you there? 
Everybody there? Okay. I'm reading the NLT version, I think, on this one. All right. And so, dear brothers and sisters, some translations say, therefore. Therefore is based on everything I just wrote to you in verses, chapters 1 through 11, okay? Therefore. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. He's still in the same thought. Because of all he has done for you. Pause. You know who you are? Do you know how much he loves you? Look at all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. By offering your bodies, one translation says, as a living sacrifice. God, I'm all of yours. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, however you want to use me, you are my master, I am your slave. you today as Paul never was I am a slave to one I have the best master in the world and even when I don't do what he says to do his love draws me back reminds me of who he is he's faithful to forgive amen so how do I do this practically listen and listen in. how do you stay away from sin I don't want to sin. How do I do it? All right, right here, here we go. Verse two. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person. I love this. Here's the answer. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. In Colossians 3, Paul writes the same thoughts. He says, set your minds on heavenly things, not earthly things. Okay. You begin to take away sin in your life. You don't dabble in habitual sin or engage in in, in every once in a while sin. And every time that all that starts to come out your way, here's what you do. You renew your mind by remembering his word. I'll say that again. You renew your mind by reviewing his word. Renew your mind by reviewing his word. Practically, when you review his word, you renew your mind. When you renew your mind, you get a new way of thinking. When you get a new way of thinking, you remember what sin does. And then you run from it. Why? Because you've put on a new mind. That's why it is so important to meet with him every day in his word. Because when you review the word, you renew your mind. So that when the day comes, 
and the day unfolds and you've already defeated jealousy before the day ever began. When you live from that place, jealousy, envy, lust starts to take a back seat. The power is in his word, which is why it's one of the greatest struggles for most of you to open up your Bible and read it. Many people just struggle with that single act because the power is there. When you review his word, you renew your mind. When you renew your mind, he transforms you. And when that occurs, sin no longer has power or authority over you. So I challenge you with that. Absolutely. I challenge you. Start with the word and you will sin less. Not perfect. Still in struggle. But sin will be less when you review his word every single day and put on a new mind. Change the way you think. Repent. Change the way you think. Amen. Jesus, um, thank you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for those that are here to listen in. Humbled. God, that even in uh, who we are and who we were, you choose us and you die for us and you forgive us every single time. Father, I pray for those that are here, that are those that listen in, that those that watch online. God, I really pray that they would see and know the power of your word. Renew their mind. Help them to think and see like you see. Help me to think and see like you see. Jesus, we want to be a vessel. Our bodies do not belong to sin. They belong to you, and that is our prayer. Today, raise your hand if you just want to offer your full life to the Lord. It doesn't matter if you've done it once or twice. You just, you feel like I need to raise my hand, then you just do it. You're responding to him, not to me. for those hands that are lifted. I pray those that are making decisions in their heart to leave their sin, to turn for you, turn to you, to empower them with your word. Help them to see it new. Help them to read it and understand it. Give us a heart for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.